Welcome back to Don't Punt to Geo, your UNC football podcast on the Tar Heel Blog podcast hosted by TarHeelBlog.com and the good folks at SBNation.com. My name is Chad Floyd. I'm joined today by my good friend, Jake Lawrence. Uh, we have some more Matt Brown styling on fools to talk about. First of all, Jake, how are you, my friend? Doing great, man. Uh, weather's great. North Carolina's killing on the recruiting trail. NC State isn't. So uh, it's all in all, it's a good day. Yeah, there was a Mark Ennis tweet uh, where uh, somebody on the wire was watching a football game and they zoomed in, saw that it was NC State. And I think the comment on it was, this is the perfect game where nobody wins. One team just loses a little faster. So State still getting national pub, just uh, never good national pub. Never what they want, and that's the way we like it. So let's, uh, let's just keep it rolling. Yeah, it's really hard to describe a tweet uh, on an audio medium, I just found out. I thought you did a pretty good job, though. Well done. I appreciate it. Good effort. Yeah, at least I uh, cited the source so people can go look it up as they're listening to this, uh, so long as they're not driving. But, Jake, where would they be driving right now? We're in lockdown. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, you guys are in lockdown. We're actually in lockdown out here, too. So uh, stay off the roads because, you know, governors and people say so. Well, the governor of North Carolina right now is Mac Brown because the state is officially on lockdown. That was the segue I was shooting for. Uh, Ooh, I like it. Well done. Yeah, man. Um, Jake, yesterday uh, we are recording this while we should be back on the field at the spring game like we were last year, which kind of just hurts my soul very, very badly. But Carolina got the expected commitment from Ra Ra Dilworth. Um, an outside linebacker, maybe safety, depending on what you think his size is, but an extremely fast uh, jack-of-all-trades linebacker. And then Jared Wilson, the former Georgia commit, 6'4", 325 offensive guard, showed up and uh, committed at the same time. Um, what was your initial takeaway, you know, with the Dilworth news kind of expected, but with Wilson adding to it? Yeah, to get to get two for one was definitely a surprise, a welcome surprise. Uh, Wilson had been rumored to be a lean for North Carolina for a while, but uh, it was kind of dragging it out. Uh, so for him to, I have to think they probably planned it. I would, I would not think that they did that. You know, one recruit doesn't want to step over the other. But all in all, I mean, when you add seven or eight stars in, in one day uh, to your recruiting profile, it's uh, it's a good day. Yeah, and you look at Wilson's rankings. I guess we'll start with him. Uh, he is the second lowest rated recruit in this class at number 390 nationally. Um, that puts him at 20th in his position. But he was a longtime Georgia commit. Uh, he committed to Sam Pittman, the former UNC offensive line coach who moved on to Arkansas. Uh, there was some chatter that he would be interested in possibly following Pittman to Arkansas. But the guy has verified offers from Alabama, Florida. I mean, you name it. Very, very big-time recruit on the offensive line. And for a guy who's 6'4", 325, he can move. Yeah, he can. Uh, he fits the, the size that they're going to be looking for uh, along the interior uh, of the line, um, 325, uh, like you said. And, you know, stars are weird. Uh, to say he's the second-lowest recruit at 390th in the nation for the 247 composite is uh, saying something, one, about him and also one about the depth of North Carolina's class and the depth of the, of the talent inside the state. Um, so uh, I think you're going to see some movement and probably him even jump up. I think ESPN has him a little bit higher um, as a four-star. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a re, he is re-emphasizing 
um, or he's a reinforcement of the of the Mac Brown emphasis on building from the trenches. Uh, and they have made the offensive line a target over the last two recruiting classes. Uh, and he is another and he's another piece of that puzzle. Yeah, and, and offensive line recruiting to me is uh, really hard to follow because it's just so fluid. Um, guys kind of come into their bodies as they get older. They're really hard to evaluate on tape. And, you know, you, you see that struggle uh, even with the people who do this for a living. But with Wilson, I mean, you have a big mobile guy. And really, UNC kind of outlined uh, he, Eli Sutton, and then the gentleman from Canada who's named uh, Logan Taylor, maybe. Um, he seems yeah, like Taylor is another one. Those were kind of the three guys on the list, along with uh, Colby Smith from Rockingham County, uh, who apparently UNC's cooled on a little bit. And UNC's hitting on all of this. Like, I'm, I've grown used to really learning a lot about 20 to 30 offensive line uh, guys per cycle, and UNC's just checking off the ones that they wanted. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. Offensive line is it's a weird position to to really evaluate, understand what you're getting, just because of the way you know kids develop in, in high school ball, especially in the trenches, can be so weird um, uh, or, or hard to evaluate at least. But I mean, look, as of right now, um, everyone they are targeting, they're getting, and we're not used to North Carolina winning head-to-head battles consistently on the recruiting trail um and here i can't think of one that they have realistically lost at least in this recruiting class um and they're and they continue to knock them out of the park and you know we talk about the offensive line i believe last year there were 21 offensive linemen on the roster and only three of them were upperclassmen so for them so that kind of youth allows them to kind of be a little bit more picky but it also means that they are they're targeting who they want and they're making them a priority and they're convincing these guys to, to, to still come on board regardless of the amount of youth that's on that roster, uh, which means that whatever they're doing behind the scenes uh, to build those relationships, uh, it, is, it is unlike almost any program in the country is actually able to do. Um, and what we're watching is, is not normal, and it's not just a Mac Brown thing. Um, this, is a, uh, this is a very rare thing that we're watching with this recruiting class, and that's because of North Carolina fans. Uh, this, is, this is special what he's doing. Yeah, and we'll just go ahead and dive into that. Uh, Carolina's class per 247 is ranked number two in the country with its 14 commits. Uh, that is 11 four-stars, three three-stars, um, depending on how you feel about Will Shipley and Tony Grimes. Uh, still has some high upside potential to potentially add to the class. And then guys like Keyshawn Silver and Drake May have, have seen their rankings uh, shoot up and consistently Guys like Steve Wiltfong and Brian Don have said that guys like that are going to go up in the rankings. So UNC could be looking at a multiple five-star class, which would only raise the profile of it. Um, your point that what we're seeing is unprecedented, I mean, it it is striking. Uh, of UNC's commits, you know, where we're talking, again, 11 four-stars, there's only one guy from out of state on this list right now. And... UNC or North Carolina, the state historically has not been a place where you have 20 to 25 blue chip recruits. But I think people are starting to realize nationally just how good the depth in state is. So it's really a perfect storm of one of the best uh, in-state classes of all time, just within the state at the high school level. And a coach that is actually bringing in those guys at a higher level than they have ever been brought in before. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a there's a confluence of factors going on, but I mean, I think ESPN has 21 North Carolina athletes uh, as on their ESPN 300 list right now for juniors. 
Um, so the, the state is incredibly stacked. Uh, but this is what Mac Brown does. And we've, we've talked about it for a year and a half. And when he signed on, we said this was going to change. He understands the, in, the importance of in-state recruits. Um, what will be interesting past this season is when the, on, on the years that it's not quite as deep, how do they handle that? How where do they find that extra talent? So right now, it's, it's, it's really, really good just because of all the depth and he's made that a thing. And look, when one recruit, when one recruit sees his buddy, uh, you know, commit, they start talking, the recruits start recruiting each other. It just kind of builds on each other. Um, and that is a benefit to how Matt Brown tries to lock down his classes this early as well. So you have Brown's philosophy is lock, of locking down classes early. You've got the recruits helping each other out. And then you have all the depth in North Carolina. And it has really just put all, he's, he's put forth um, really, or he's, he is, um, it's a perfect storm of events, uh, I should say. Uh, and he's really capitalized on it in, in a way that only really Matt Brown does. And, you know, in that perfect storm of events with the whole COVID crisis, I think it makes it even more just baffling what he's doing. Um, I, I really enjoyed your comment yesterday where you said that he's gotten uh, more commitments during COVID than half of the ACC has total. And, you know, you're, you're not recruiting on campus. You're not taking visits. So to a point, you know, guys like Dilworth, you know, maybe they – had already kind of been leaning North Carolina and had taken some visits. But for a lot of guys, I mean, it's really slowing down or grinding the process to a halt. So it's been interesting to see, you know, really through that issue. I mean, again, today was supposed to be the spring game. You know, we, we might have we might have 20 guys in the class if uh, in, a, in a different timeline. So it's really baffling, especially given uh, what's going on outside of football, that this is still – developing the way it is because we're talking DeAndre Boykins we're talking Kamaro Edmonds who we have not discussed on this podcast but uh Tymere Brown uh, I mean you're you're looking at five commits in the last month when everybody's been at home yeah and to me that's the most bizarre thing and it's not something we really expected and you know whether one believes in silent commits or not it, there was a belief that some of these guys have have given the verbal nod uh, behind the scenes of the coaching staff and look, Matt Brown understands PR. Some of this was probably rolling out with, you know, very well-timed announcements. Um, and that happens because he understands how to keep that, you know, he understands the whole point of marketing and keeping your program in the, you know, in, in the limelight. However, uh, it's never really official until one a kid says it verbally and announces it. And then he signs. So to get five players to do so in a time when the country is effectively locked down and the NCAA has extended their recruiting, their recruiting dead period through, I believe, May. Meanwhile, you're right, half the ACC has four or fewer uh, recruits in their classes. Uh, Louisville, Georgia Tech, NC State, they all have four or fewer commits, and North Carolina has gotten five with the country on lockdown. So – um, you know, it just goes to show that, that what he's done to rebuild those, those in-state uh, bridges that were arguably burned under the last administration um, or the last coaching staff, uh, and to have them believe and buy into what's going on when they can't even go anywhere else, uh, I think one is really smart on their part uh, or on the staff's part, but two just goes to show how special whatever they're building there is going to be. Absolutely. Um, we did not really discuss uh, Renaria Dilworth, the ringleader of at least the last two uh, commitments here. Um, 6'2", 185, according to 247. I know uh, Don Callahan on the Inside Carolina podcast said he's probably a little smaller than that. 
but the dude runs a legit 4-4-40. Um, listed as an outside linebacker, I can see him more in a hybrid linebacker safety type role, at least early in his career, uh, where Isaiah Simmons was a safety, you know, basically until midway through his junior year. So what do you see in Dilworth? And I mean, frankly, for me, you know, it's not really as much about the measurables here, because when you have speed in the modern uh, game of college football, that is the most important thing. Um, but not only does he have that speed, I mean, he has incredible uh, numbers on the field. I think he had over 200 tackles last year. Yeah, I've seen a couple of things. He, Max Preps had him like 197. A couple of the other recruiting articles had him 203. I mean, you're splitting hairs. That's an insane amount of production um, for, for, for anybody on a football field. So the dude is just going to – he flies the ball. He, he sees the game quickly. He can anticipate where the ball or the play is going. Um, and so that's the kind of athleticism that, you, you know, you don't teach that. You can't build that. You can't get it in a weight room and make it better. Um, so you're getting a flat-out natural athlete. Ultimately, I'm in agreement that his final position depends on how big he can get. I think right now he's around 200 pounds. If he can get up into the 230, 240 range, then he's going to be a linebacker. If he can't, or, or, or if that extra weight takes away his speed, I think you see him in, the, in that hybrid role maybe going back to safety. I mean, remember Dom Ross last year, more out of necessity than anything, Played nickel, played safety, played inside. I think he played on the line a couple of times, uh, you know, as an outside rusher. So <clears throat> I think that you're looking at something like that for him, for him uh, or for Dilworth, especially in Bateman's scheme, which is it, it is predicated on disguises. It's predicated on moving people all over the field. Um, and so his athleticism, I don't really know if he's going to have a role per se, but you're going to see him on the field a lot. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is Gabe Stevens is kind of built out of the same mold. Uh, Dontavious Nash is uh, more the size of a box safety at this point in his career, really, than a linebacker. So what you're going to see is just, you know, under Bateman's scheme, this is going to be just hilariously confusing for offenses because really you have, at any given time, you're going to have your two down linemen, you're going to have your two, you know, boundary and field corners, Everybody else can do almost anything. Right. I mean, what do you do? Hypothetically, let's say next year or two years, you've got Gabe Stevens, you've got Dilworth, and you've got Nash all out there on the field together. Right? Okay. Well, then, if they can all cover. Conley and What's that? And Jacurius Conley, too, just to add. To... Oh, yeah, Conley from this year. There we go. So, let's see you put those four out there. Now, I mean, who's playing safety? Who's coming from the edge? You don't know, and you can mix and match. And this is where when, when Bateman came from Army, and they don't necessarily have the, the athletes there, but they do have a lot of interchangeable parts because of the way they have to recruit to, to meet their service requirements. This was what people asked was, all right, can he adjust to more athleticism, or will his system be enhanced by, a, by additional athleticism and additional versatility? And we're yes. going to get that answer in the next year or two. You know, like that's what we're going to start seeing. And now when we look at how, how he's building this recruiting class, um, we're starting to see what those pieces might look like. Um, and so that's going to be a lot of fun to watch over the next two years. Yeah, and just building on that, I mean, just the amount of depth that he's going to have. You know, uh, Keyshawn Silver and Desmond Evans are very similar recruits, very similar body types. Um, are they your two edge rushers? Uh, you know, does one of them develop a little faster than the other? Um, so many exciting questions that uh, need to be answered, man. But um, just back to 247, I've been doing some napkin math 
because for some reason this column's not sortable. Not only is UNC number two in uh, the class rankings, they're number 10 in average recruit uh, rating. So, you know, th- this is not smoke and mirrors. This is not, I've, I've seen a lot of threads on Reddit from South Carolina fans, from Tennessee fans saying, oh, well, they'll finish outside the top 25 because, you know, they, they're just building up numbers early. No, I mean, these are all legit prospects. And that's really the most insane part about it to me is I, I know Mac Brown does like to recruit early, but he's recruiting quality guys and getting them here eight months before signing day. Yeah, I mean, that that absolutely nails it. Look, are, are they going to finish with the number two class? Probably not. I don't think there's enough elite talent out there that they are realistically in the hunt for right now. But are they going to drop down you know, to number 20? No. I mean, they're going to be knocking on the door of a top 10 class. And if one or two of those top prospects end up flipping their way, you know, Tony Grimes or Will Shipley, um, if lightning strikes and they get them, or if, you know, May and um, a couple others uh, enter the five-star territory and they're able to, you know, keep that number, you know, increased a little bit, uh, then they're, they're going to be hitting on the door of a, knocking on the door of a, of a top 10 class. Uh, so this is not just quantity. Uh, the number two overall is probably quantity, but when you're looking at the end product, uh, you're still going to be looking at a at a eight to probably fourteen range class this year, which still uh, is is quite something when you consider that Matt Brown's not even been on the job uh, for two years yet. And just with all the stuff coming out of it, I mean, you know, you're talking about a program that won five games over two years uh, prior to last year, and. You know, th- these guys are still committing basically on a vision that has not been fulfilled yet. And if yep. that vision starts to materialize and, you know, keeping my fingers crossed that we have football in the fall to let this build. But even if we have uh, two seasons in 2021 or something, I mean, if you see this vision start to come to life, it's only going to get better, man. Yeah, I mean, that's really, I think that's the question that needs to be answered is whenever football resumes, whether it's this fall or next spring, um, what the, the question that should be explored is what is the amount of success North Carolina needs to have to keep the momentum going? Um, will another seven and six season do it? Is that enough to extend the vision for one more recruiting cycle? Or are they going to need eight or nine? Or if, if, you know, if they hit nine, ten wins uh, based on the schedule, uh, and the talent they have, if, if they're able to, to to get that going, then when do they make the next jump into the into the top seven, top five um, recruiting rankings? That that's the interesting thing, and I don't know if we're going to get an answer this year, but I think that's what you start looking for. Um, uh, you know, when when the games are being played again, is what level of success is able to maintain or increase this momentum, or is there a certain level that's going to start that's going to start hurting them on the recruiting trail? Um, and that's when all you know all the whispers are going to come back about how Mac doesn't have it and the game passed him by and he's old and all that, of which I don't believe any of. But um, you know, one bad season this early potentially could could kind of uh, diffuse some of this some of this excitement. So, uh, long term, that's kind of where I'm, I'm more interested in is what's the level of success necessary to keep this going. Yeah, and you know, right now the coastal is still the butt of all jokes, and it is there for the taking and. If there is a 2020 football season, I think UNC is in prime position to, you know, I think eight wins, you know, even if you account for two possible losses in the non-conference against UCF and Auburn, I think that keeps the ball rolling because at the end of the day, I mean, you're playing 14 games at that point. Uh, You're on the field with Clemson again. And 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really do think it would take like a six-win season or worse, which I don't see happening in a 12-game schedule uh, for this to kind of have, have the brakes pumped. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and, I mean, you and I agree on that. I just think that's, to me, that's going to be the curious question going forward when we're talking about recruiting and, and how to keep this going. Um, but I agree. I, I, don't, I don't see that happening um, whenever it all starts. Uh, and I think that you're going to see a lot of these freshmen that are signing or a lot of these 2020 freshmen that sign, they're going to get on the field early. And I think that's going to start once you get people on the field early and you start showing that there's playing time available and you show depth and you get more and more people going, it continually builds. So I don't have any long-term concerns right now. I just think if you're talking about things that have not quite been um, actualized on the field yet, uh, like you said, um, I think that that is, that, that's where it looks. But I mean, look, you're talking 14 recruits, 13 from North Carolina. I think 11 of them right now are ESPN 300 um, recruits, which is a record for North Carolina. Uh, two more recruits, and they break the internet record, the internet internet age record for most recruits from North Carolina. They had 14 last year. Butch Davis and John Bunting each had one season with 14. Um, so there's a lot going on here to show that this is more than just a, a one-season fluke. Um, and – uh, I think that, that at, at a minimum, UNC fans should be um, cautiously optimistic. And if you're ecstatic right now, I can't blame you. I mean, this is this is something else that we're, that we're experiencing. Yeah, I mean, my dream is to watch UNC win a national championship in football. Uh, it starts with talent, and UNC is acquiring the talent right now. Um, Jake? You write for TarHillBlog.com. Uh, what do you have coming this week? I know there's a little bit of excitement about uh, what we've got coming on ESPN at 9 o'clock on Sunday. Yeah, so I have joined the fray of the best UNC basketball teams never to win a title. Uh, and so on Sunday, which I think this is when this is going to drop, or Monday, um, I have uh, a look at the 1984 team. Uh, and then uh, I have some of the recruiting. So I've been handling most of the recruiting announcements the past couple of weeks. Uh, and at some point in the coming week or two, I'm going to do a, a deep dive into just how historic this class is for North Carolina from a North Carolina history perspective, not a national history perspective. Well, you know, I'll be reading that. Um, what I was referencing on Sunday as it ties to the 1984 article is the uh, first part of the documentary on the 1998 Chicago Bulls. Uh, Michael Jordan happened to play for that 1984 uh, UNC team that Jake will be writing about, but I'm thinking we'll probably uh, be coming back and maybe breaking down those episodes for people who want a little bit more analysis behind a documentary that should tell you about everything you need to know about it. But hey, we've got podcasts about something, my man. Uh, Jake, man, I appreciate you taking time out of a Saturday afternoon to join me here. Um, as for me, this is all I'm really doing right now. I'm still swamped with work. But we will uh, keep on podcasting as we see fit. So y'all keep it locked and go heels.